Musicpreneur.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. A society either rises or falls to the level of its art. If you're good at something, never do it for free. You love music. You've devoted your life to music. Why sell yourself short by sharing your life's passion working for, quote, the man? You musicians, you're too, too musical. <laughs> Netflix is not your friend, people. Get off the couch, take a shower, comb your hair, and get out there. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for what the money says. And it says what it says to any player that makes big money, that they're worth it. We could have allowed it to steal our joy, but instead it stealed our inner fortitude. You spend time with your family? Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. The world will point out every reason why I should just quit, but I won't quit for one reason, because I say so. To assist in your journey of making money making music, the musicpreneur.com podcast starts now. Here's your host, James Newcomb. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is James Newcomb and I am your fearless guide. So let me introduce our featured guest, our mystery guest of the hour. This is a man who has had a uh, terrific influence on my own life, not just as a musician, but as a uh, mentor, a spiritual advisor. He's, I consider him my pastor. And I clearly remember in 2007, I was, uh, I would, I was what you would call a very good amateur trumpet player. And I lived in Hawaii at the time. And I just happened to be uh, just practicing the Haydn Trumpet Concerto at the church that I attended, it was I was just I was just bumming around, just playing, and in walked um, Tim, and he sat down and he listened to me, and then I had known of him, I had met him once or twice, and I but I didn't know him that well, and he just listened, and I finished my excerpt, and he said, James, that sounded terrific, and so we talked a little bit, and it turns out that Tim went to the Eastman School of Music in the late 70s and early 80s. And many of the trumpet players that we know very, very well, uh, we, could, we could name names, we're not going to do that, but let's just say that they are pretty well known in the, in the world of trumpet. And they, are, they were his classmates. And although Tim uh, chose a different career uh, in the ministry, he still remained very, very active uh, and, and very interested in the trumpet and the trumpet world and the trumpet community. And obviously, he has a good ear for what a trumpet should sound like. So when he told me that I had a lot of promise, and that I sounded good, uh, and that I should work to uh, take my playing to the next level, I took it seriously because it's one thing for your mom to say something like that. They're obligated to say that. But when someone who has been there and done that and knows a thing or two about um, uh, any particular topic when they give you that type of encouragement. But we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite topic, performing. It seems like such a wonderful, wonderful, blissful experience performing in front of people and you are at the top of your game and everyone is just lulled. They are trance. They, they are set in a trance by your beautiful playing. Well, we all know that that is not the case because everybody listening to this, everybody who has ever performed anything can tell uh, their own 
horror stories of how the nerves just got out of control. And um, it's, it's stopped a lot of really, really good musicians. It's discouraged them from being uh, professional musicians. And it's unfortunate. We're talking, of course, about performance anxiety. And, but first, let me welcome to the show Reverend Dr. Timothy G. Conkling. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much, James. It is a great privilege to be here, and I'm looking forward to our time together because this is a subject that is very, very near and dear to my heart as I've struggled with it myself. You've struggled it. So why is it that you would like volunteer to do a podcast on performance anxiety? Because even though I'm not a full-time professional musician, I still do a lot with regards to teaching, tutoring, coaching, and trying to help musicians take it to the next level. And what I found over the years is that I can teach a student how to play the Haydn trumpet concerto or the Hummel trumpet concerto, but then if they can't deliver in the moment when they need to be playing at their best, then all of the time that we spent together in the lesson is lost. It's, it almost seems like it's not worth it because the person doesn't, perform as well as they know that they can perform and they don't perform to the level that gives them the satisfaction and the pleasure that causes them to enjoy performing rather than be afraid or hate performing. So this is a very important subject to me because if a musician can perform at their best or at least 80% of their best in most situations and to do so comfortably without fear, then their enjoyment of the music career and the music lifestyle gives them a wonderful calling in, in life to pass on the enjoyment that comes through music because they themselves are enjoying it while they're creating the experience for others. I've always likened it to performing in front of others as it's, it's just a different skill set. Like you're talking about, you can teach someone how to play your scales or you can teach them how to play the Haydn concerto. We're just using that as an example. And you, you can teach and they can learn the, the dynamics and you know this and that, everything that goes into making it good. But then performing it in front of others, that's a completely different skill set in addition to everything that you have to learn with the music. Right, James. And I would say, indeed, I think it's the most important skill set because if you can't seal the deal, if you can't take it to the concert hall, if you can't do it in an audition, then you will consider yourself not to be a success, no matter how good you sound in the practice room. So my, my goal as a teacher, as I, the, the longer I've been in the, um, in the, music helping profession, shall I say, or in the education uh, profession, as, as I've gotten older and I've observed good musicians, people with great potential, and then seeing who made it and who didn't, I realized that often it's not the best players who end up ultimately succeeding or making it. It's those who are the best performers. And so I've spent a lot of my adult life trying to grasp the essence of what makes a great performer. I know great musicians who are not great performers. And I know great performers who maybe aren't the best 
musicians. There's better musicians in the practice room. However, what these people do and do well, if they're a great performer, is something that we all ought to take notice of and to try and emulate and to try and learn for ourselves in such a way that we can pass it on to others. Because I would dare say that most musicians for a season in their life, if not the whole of their life, struggle with this issue of performance anxiety. How can I how can I play my best when I'm a little bit scared or a lot scared? Yeah, it's one thing to be great in the practice room, but no one picks up the instrument so that they can be great in the practice room. The goal is to be a great performer, be it in front of um, your family at the family gathering or all the way up to the great concert halls of the world. That's your goal. It's not to just shine in the practice room. And so if you can't, if you can't deliver, well, who's going to want to stick, who, who's going to want to stick with that? So what you, you mentioned earlier that you've had your own experience with performance anxiety. Tell us about some of your own struggles with performance anxiety. I've had quite a bit of struggle with performance anxiety early on in my music career. And I remember back in high school, even many people thought that I should be seated quite high in the Allstate band. And I didn't do well on my audition. And I ended up not placing very high. I didn't even place into the concert band. I placed in Florida in what we call the reading band. And I was first chair, third part in the reading band after the summer where I played principal trumpet in the orchestra representing the United States of America and America's Youth in Concert. So I went from playing Billy the Kid and receiving a standing ovation in Carnegie Hall to then flubbing my audition and then having every person who didn't think they were as good of a player as me sitting ahead of me in the Allstate Band. And it was such a blow to my ego that I didn't even go to the Allstate Band. And my friends were scratching their head like, what happened to you? Well, what happened to me was I choked. Uh, and when I say I choked, what happens when you're a brass player is when you get nervous, several things happen. Your, your hands sort of get clammy, but your mouth gets dry. And it's this dry mouth that trumpets get that can take you from being a great player into not even being able to, to produce an accurate sound in a period of minutes when that terrible reaction hits you. So it hit me for my Allstate audition. And then there were a few times at Eastman where it hit me. And one of those times was in my jury. Uh, each year at, at the end of the school year, a trumpet major has to play in front of all of the brass faculty. And then they all decide, okay, have you gotten better enough so we can advance you to the next grade? So my jury went so poorly that I was going to have to do it over again. And basically what happened was, is I, I got dry mouth and I thought it was terrible because I had had a good year of growth. I studied with Charles Geyer, who used to play second trumpet in the Chicago Symphony, and then he played principal in Houston, and he plays principal in music of the Baroque in Chicago. And Charlie Geyer is a very well-known player and a very well-known, very well-known teacher and educator. And so uh, Charlie felt like I'd made good progress, but I didn't deliver. And and he knew that I didn't deliver, and he knew what I was capable of. So both of us walked out of that that terrible jury situation 
that happened during my junior year, scratching our heads saying, well, where do we go from here? So I had to put it together uh, in one year in order to be able to graduate. And since I was a performance major on scholarship at Eastman, I certainly wanted to graduate. But more than graduate, I wanted one thing. I wanted to be able to play as well as I knew that I could. And I thought, if I do that, then I won't have any problems. I was fine. You know, then if I make mistakes or whatever, well, that's who I am. That's how good I am. That's what I'm able to do at this point. I just wanted to get to that point. So between that April jury of my junior year until my senior jury uh, that happened a year later, I worked, but not only did I work on just playing, I made dealing with the performance anxiety, my number one concern. I wanted to overcome the performance anxiety. And so but later on in the interview, I can share with you what happened during that time. So share right now. Basically what happened was this, uh, I did an internal makeover. You know how people have a makeover? There's home makeovers. There's hair makeovers. If you watch America's Next Top Model, there's different kinds of makeovers that people have. But what I did is I did a serious performance makeover. And I want to walk you through the steps. Um, the, the first step, and a lot of this I credit my teacher, Charlie Geyer, with because he helped me tremendously. But the first step of the makeover was Charlie said to me, he said, never practice, always perform. And he said, even when you're, um, even when you're in the practice room, he said, other people are listening to you. So Make every note count. Enjoy every moment all the time. And he didn't mean that we don't have to break things down and, and you know, separate the rhythm from the notes, from, from the dynamics, from the phrasing, from the musicianship and all that. He didn't mean that we don't have to break difficult passages or sections down and then work on it systematically. But what he meant was is change my conception so that there was no difference between uh, there was no difference between how I thought about performing and how I thought about practicing. Now that was revolutionary uh, because as I began to think about this, I started to think about, okay, well, other people are listening to me right now when I'm in the practice room. How can I raise their level of enjoyment through what I'm doing, even if I'm practicing? So that was a very, very helpful first step. Um, the second step was something that Charlie Geyer would always um, just really bang into his students. And I think it took me a few years of studying with him to really be able to, to get a hold of this. But the second thing that, that Charlie said is, is, remember that it's always about the audience. It's not about you. And then he told this story about ungracious performers. He said, here's what happens to him. He says, somebody is doing a concert and they have a pretty good concert, but they, they miss a few notes. And because they're a perfectionist and because their ego is completely tied up in how well they do as, as a performer, at the end of the concert, when people come around and shake their hand, and say, oh, I really enjoyed it. The person says, oh, no, um, it, it was bad. I, I missed this note. I missed that note. And Charlie called that being an ungracious 
performer. And he said, never be an ungracious performer. He said, realize that you gave them a gift. And that gift that you gave them on the stage was the best that you could do at that moment and leave it there. And when people come up and say they enjoyed it, don't tell them everything that you did wrong. Smile and say thank you. Now, this goes against um, practice mentality because practice mentality is look at your mistakes, analyze your mistakes, and fix your mistakes. Practicing, for many people, is all about your mistakes and getting to the point that you don't make them. But performance mentality is something completely different because in performance mentality, when you make a mistake, you don't want to think about it for a moment because if you think about it, it will cause you to make more mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that can be a real problem. So Charlie told this story one time in my lesson about playing next to Bud Herseth and they were doing a live performance of pictures at, at an exhibition. And I think that, um, you, you know, the beginning promenade of pictures at an exhibition yes. goes. And he, and he said that Bud Herseth was playing this and he missed the top F. He went, bum, 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 bum. And at the end of the concert, Charlie was sort of ribbing him and he said, Hey, Bud, you, you missed that, that note in the promenade. And Bud Herseth looked at him and he said, No, I didn't. And he said, Yes, you did. You missed the high F. You, it didn't come out at all. And, and Bud said, Oh, it, it was fine. And Charlie said he realized that Bud Herseth had trained himself to forget his mistakes. Because if he didn't do that, then he would be constantly thinking about that mistake for the rest of the concert and then make more mistakes. So I started thinking about how I can forget my mistakes and how I can overcome the self-consciousness, which in the practice room can help you in an analytical way, but in the performance actually cripples you. So you have to get outside of yourself and take that monkey that sits on your uh, shoulder, which we call call the ego. Um, you have to take the ego and completely kill it. You got to throw the monkey on the ground when you perform, so that you can perform at at your best. So I just started practicing doing that. And then the next thing Charlie Geyer said was, he said, perform any chance you get, so that performing won't be like a big thing. It'll just be like you're practicing. But now you're practicing maybe with more people around or something. So we, we had a master class every week. And I would volunteer to play every week, um, even though I didn't want to. So what happens when a person has performance anxiety is, is they avoid it. It's sort of like paying taxes. You, you want to you avoid paying taxes, so you, you sort of stay away from it until the last possible moment, and then you file. But with performing, instead of being something that I did occasionally, and it was a big thing, I started thinking of how can I make this just part of my day-to-day -day everything. So I get up, I eat, that's normal. Take a bath, that's normal. I, I play trumpet for other people, that's normal. And then I started looking for every single opportunity to play. Um, I, would, I would go into people's practice rooms at Eastman and I would say, hey, can we play duets together? You know, and, and then I would try and play every week in church if I could. And I would just look for every single opportunity that there was to perform. So in that year between my junior and senior year, um, I rethought a lot of how I conceptualize practicing and performing to make everything into a performance.
when you had your jury in the in the in your junior year at Eastman, what was your mindset regarding performing versus your senior year jury? And tell us how the jury went in your senior year. Well, what happened during during my junior year is um, I went into my 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 jury and I started thinking I'm just scared. You know, I'm just afraid that they're just gonna they're just gonna sit there and judge me. And so I had this mindset of people are judging me. And for so many musicians, especially early on in your career, when you're taking a lot of auditions or you're landing your first job or you're auditioning to, to get into uh, colleges, a lot of when you play, you're being judged. You're in a competition. You know, you're, you're um, trying to win this scholarship or whatever. And so when you're performing is tied to being judged then it's hard to get out of this mindset. So what happened was, is in my junior year, this is like the big jury, because if you don't pass your junior year jury, you don't get a chance to graduate with a performance major. So I had psyched myself out to be scared to death, and I blew it, and it was terrible. But then in my senior year, two things happened. I had a year of practicing in a different way, practicing like I was performing all the time, a lot more practice performing, uh, an intentional shift in my mind where I said, okay, uh, this ain't for me. This is for everybody else. And I'm just going to try the, the music is for other people. This is not this whole idea of playing trumpet. It's not for me. It's for others. And when you switch your whole conception from being self-oriented, self-focused, how do people think about me? How am I coming across to, um, are you enjoying this? Is this enriching your life? Is this something that, that helps you get through your day because it's giving you some joy or some peace or some happiness? When you switch that focus, then it is radical. So I had a year of practicing to switch that focus, but there was one more key thing. And, and this, this last key thing that I want to share is very important, and I do share it with my students. I needed to break the cycle of bad uh, physiology of worrying about a performance or thinking too much about the performance and psyching myself out and then going into that reaction of dry mouth. So I went to my doctor and she put me on a drug called Enderol, um, propanolol. It's a common drug and I would dare say that many, many musicians around the world are using it because basically what it does is it inhibits that um, fight or flight uh, reflex that ends up causing you to get dry mouth. So what I realized when I took the, the correct dosage of Enderol is, is I could have a tiger standing next to me and it wouldn't spike my adrenaline. I might be internally scared, but I wasn't having any of the physiological responses that went with it. So when I eliminated that, then I realized, oh, I never have to worry about playing again. Um, because <clears throat> this is like a magic bullet for me. And it was a magic bullet for me, but I didn't want to be dependent on it. So what I did is over a period of a year, I weaned myself off Enderol uh, by, by taking it down a little bit on the dosage each time to the point where I no longer needed it. And I had broken that physiological cycle of being scared to death to, to perform. So the drug was helpful for getting me to where I needed to be. And then um, after I got where I needed to be, 
it took me a year or so, and then I weaned myself off of it. But there, there still are there still are some occasions where I will use it. I played with the Jakarta Symphony a few years ago. My son and I um, played, and we were playing on a Bach uh, cantata where we were. I was playing a piccolo trumpet. Um, my son was playing a D trumpet, and another trumpet player was also playing a piccolo. And the part was hard, and it was difficult. And and I knew that if I had any dry mouth that I wasn't going to be able to play this. So I took Inderol before the performance and I'm glad I did. And the performance came off very well, but I'm not dependent on it. Uh, like I was during that year when I was weaning myself uh, off of it. But I do think it's a very, very important uh, resource that anyone who struggles with performance anxiety ought to discuss with their doctor. Because for me, it was a magic bullet that then helped me get to that last stage of what do I need to do to break this cycle of hating and fearing performing and getting to the point where now I love to perform. And even right now, though I don't practice as much um, as I did before, uh, with a minimal amount of practice, I'll be willing to play in public for, for someone because my identity is no longer tied to it. I enjoy it. I still have a gift. I want to share it with someone else. So last year in January, I was asked by a friend of mine, Dean Siracus, a fabulous trumpet player that I um, grew up with in all state bands and um, Central Florida select bands during my high school years. And we've remained friends since then. Uh, Dean invited me to play with uh, the Orlando concert band. And I hadn't played for probably two years or so before that. And I'd had a lot of health problems and had had um, multiple skin cancer surgeries and some other things happening. But Dean said, hey, you're going to be in Florida for a few weeks, play with the band, and we'll do some really exciting pieces together. So I got a chance to play in the band, and I only had about three weeks to get in shape. But I so enjoyed that concert, and, and I played better at that concert than I played in many of my concerts in Eastman when I was in very good shape and had practiced a lot before the concert. So I, I realized that, you know, I've really broken this cycle of negative thinking, this cycle of self-identity where it's all about me rather than about the music and the audience. And I'm able to just give what I have back to others and to enjoy it. And I think that's the ultimate goal. It's not simply to break the, the problem of being afraid when we perform. The goal is to get to the point where you fully enjoy it, every moment of it, even the mistakes and other people sense that enjoyment coming through. So I, I feel like right now, um, I, I enjoy it. I love it. I look for opportunities to be able to play now whenever I can. And I want students at an earlier age to break out of that self-focused, um, very debilitating performance anxiety, crippling uh, problem that people have and get to the point where what they can do is do their best leave it there and enjoy it and allow the, the audience to enjoy it. Musicpreneur.com Well, you've talked about the success that you experienced from your junior to senior year, but now you've, you've lived, you've been around the block a time or two. And looking back at this time in your life, from your perspective now, what do you think is at the root of performance anxiety? I think what's at the root of performance anxiety is people not understanding the whole concept of the ego and 
how we, we either live out of who we truly are or we live out of our thoughts. When you live out of your thoughts, you then live out of your ego and your identity of who you think you are as a person is then tied to how you play. And that's a cycle that people need to get out of. And you can get out of it regardless of, of whether you want to use a secular way of doing it or a more religious way. I use a combo. I use um, things that I've learned from Eckhart Tolle uh, in his book, The Power of Now. And I also um, use a lot of verses from the Bible to help me get out from my ego or to transcend it to the point where the ego isn't what it's all about. And I think the problem with so many musicians is, especially trumpet players, is they have big egos. And a big ego can give you a lot of courage or a big ego can give you a lot of fear. And the, what is very good in one instance can be very bad in the other instance. But what you want is to change your, your way of operating from being um, self-focused and selfish to being selfless and self-forgetful. So what makes a great performer is self-forgetfulness. I remember one time Charlie Geyer uh, had a concert with the Eastman Brass and Charlie and his wife, Barbara, who also taught trumpet at Eastman, had uh, several horses, several Arabian horses on their horse farm in Victor, New York. So they would have to go take care of the horses and then come back to Eastman if they had a concert. So I, I had a late lesson it was going a little bit too late and I was beginning to worry whether or not Charlie was going to be able to get out to Victor and feed the horses and get back in time for the concert. So here we are, it was four o'clock in the afternoon and Charlie was just absolutely enjoying the lesson. We were playing duets, we were transposing into A and we were having a great time. And, and if it was me, I would have been thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to go feed the horses. I got to get out, you know, and I would have been worried about, um, would have been worried about what was going to happen that night. You know, I had this big, huge concert and so many people were going to be there. And yet Charlie was fully present in my lesson. And I, I, I asked myself, how is this possible? And what I realized is Charlie Geyer lives every moment and he tries to live in love in every moment. And as, as one who, who I know he would say he has the love of God in his heart, um, and tries to let that come out in the moment. He was in that moment. He what? And so I asked him about it. I said, hey, dude, you have a concert at seven o'clock tonight, and yet you are completely as free as a bird right now and, and enjoying us finishing up this lesson. I said, how do you do that? And he said, I'm in the moment. He said, I'm in the now. I am fully where I'm at at the moment. And he said, and when I get to the concert, I will be fully in the concert. But right now, we're finishing up this lesson, and I'm fully in the lesson. Well, <clears throat> he wasn't just fully in, in, in the lesson. He was fully in the moment to the point of, of forgetting the past and having no fear of the future. He wasn't thinking of things that he had messed up earlier in his career, and he wasn't thinking about possible failures that might happen later on at 7 p.m. that night in Kilburn Hall. He was fully there. And Charlie will say he was there because he tries to live his life constantly in the presence of God. And I try and do that too. That at that point in my life, I was young. I was younger in my faith and I was younger in, in my maturity. And I just didn't have a grip on it. 
but I could see that he had something that I didn't have that I wanted to have. And that was a self-forgetfulness, which in his case, he would say comes from being filled with the love of And I would say fully present in the moment and also by experiencing God's love in the moment because the love of God casts out all fear. Musicpreneur.com well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the beta blockers, the Enderol. There's probably a couple others that you can choose from. If that's your way, if, you, if that's what you choose to um, overcome performance anxiety. But while you're speaking about it, I'm thinking about other things that can relax your mind and get you into that parasympathetic state versus that sympathetic nervous system, which is activated where you're just, where you're just thinking about survival only. And obviously that's, that's just a, that's just a recipe for failure when it comes to performing. What are some things that maybe somebody doesn't want to do, go the beta blocker route? Is there things that you could recommend, breathing exercises, meditation, things that can uh, just relax that mind, get that body into that state? Yes, there are several things. Um, one thing I would strongly recommend to people is that they read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, and learn how to separate your ego from your awareness of who you truly are in the moment so that you then learn how to enjoy the moment by not being overcome with thoughts of regrets from the past and fears of the future. I think the biggest problem that people have uh, connected to performance anxiety is they're not living in the moment. And if they learned how to enjoy the moment, what I call living in the moment, and Eckhart Tolle calls living in the moment, living in the now, if they were doing that, then they wouldn't have so much of a problem with performance anxiety. So learning those practices of spiritual awareness, learning how to, to be aware of your ego and to no longer allow it to rule you, control you, make you miserable, um, be your worst enemy. We are our worst enemy, and that's why when we have performance anxiety, the problem is not the situation. Nobody's sitting there with a gun trying to shoot you with a gun when you're about to try and play that high note. I mean, the only time I ever came close to anybody hurting me when I was playing was when I was um, playing in America's Youth in Concert, and we were doing a concert in Italy, and a bunch of old ladies had gone to the market and had bought rotten tomatoes, and if the orchestra played bad, they were going to throw the tomatoes at us. So we were warned ahead of time, this concert better be good, people, or you're going to get a lot of tomatoes. But in most situations, uh, you're, you're, in a, you're in a situation and nobody's going to hurt you. Even if you play poorly, nobody's going to hurt you. Yes, you may not uh, win that scholarship or you may not win that competition, but what's going to be hurt is going to be your pride and your ego. And when you learn how to transcend the ego through, I think, following a lot, a lot of the techniques of practicing spiritual awareness that Eckhart Tolle talks about, it becomes very, very helpful that you then bring into your performance. So that's the first thing. And there are a few other things. The second thing I would say is I have learned a lot more about breathing and how breathing can just really uh, relax you. So I've learned how to do deep breathing several times a day and it lowers your heart rate and just gets you to the point where you're not so stressed and, and everything. And the, the third thing I would say is, is um, regular neck and back massage really helps. So if people, this 
especially happens with violinists, they get a lot of tension in their neck and with violists and, and with wind players, flautists have to hold up their, their flute. And so th there's some instruments and trumpets actually, the very act of having to hold the instrument up creates some tension there. That plus the amount of air that you have to use can create that tension is of making things as relaxed as possible. And I definitely um, advocate a physical approach that utilizes deep breathing and good posture uh, and other things to, to get you to the point where you're not as, as keyed up, you're not as nervous, you're not as riled up about things. And just to take a good deep breath um, several times a day and, and as you breathe in, just become aware, become aware of that moment, of that wonderful situation that you're in. And then to say to yourself, I am about to share this great gift of music that I've been given with other people. And it's going to help them. For some people, it might make their day. Uh, and it, it will be powerful. And just to realize that you have this gift and, and to set your mindset from anything negative into something more positive and to do it while you're doing these relaxation or these breathing exercises so that the two go hand in hand and become synergistic, mind and body and breath working together at the same time. Musicpreneur.com Well, you very eloquently shared how you helped yourself deal with some pretty serious performance anxiety, and uh, it sounds like it turned out really well. In the time since then, have you been able to help others deal with performance anxiety? How's that gone? It's gone quite well, actually. Uh, one of my students, when I was in Jakarta, I was the music teacher, one of the three music teachers at North Jakarta International School. And one of my students was a guitar player and he had an awful lot of talent. He was a good singer uh, too. And I, I, I helped him break his performance anxiety cycle to the point where he also was able to perform more at his best. And then he, he, got, in, um, uh, he got into Berkeley in Boston on guitar and he double majored while he was there. And so one of my top students got into to Berkeley and I'm really, really thankful um, for that. And there have been a few others. Recently, I helped a pianist who just finished auditioning at Curtis, Eastman, Juilliard, Peabody, um, Yale, and a few other places. And she did very, very well in all of her auditions. And I had a chance to spend some time with her talking to her about the whole idea of, of enjoyment. And, and I said, just be yourself, be who you are. And, and don't think while you're in that moment that you should have practiced more or, or you need to do more before it's gonna be good enough. Just be able to be yourself and to enjoy being yourself. And she brought that enjoyment into her auditions. And, and what, what I was so thankful for is she got into every one of the school's um, audition because you have to do a pre-audition tape and pre-audition recording. Thankfully, she got in everything. And then she did really well on most of her auditions. One of them didn't go as well as it might have, but she was fine. You know, she, she just had transcended that need to kick herself 
that we often get into when ego is ruling us rather than love um, ruling us. And she had such a mature attitude to even the one of her auditions that didn't go quite as well as she would have, she would have wanted. Uh, and then just, I found out this, this week, she got into, she got into Eastman with a very large scholarship. That's the first school that she's heard from, but it was the teacher that she wanted. And she was certainly considering Eastman as one of her top choices. So I'm, I'm thrilled that in a small way, I've been able to coach this piano student um, into just being herself and then allowing that to pull everybody in, to pull everybody in to the moment of enjoyment that happens whenever she sits in front of the piano. And the first time I heard her play uh, a few years ago, I'm like, whoa, this kid has talent, but it's not just talent. What she has is a gift. And that gift is one of connecting with the audience through her, her music. And she has a maturity that goes far beyond her, her years and her age. But what I helped her do was set the mindset for, for the performance, set the mindset for, for the jury, set the mindset for the audition. Don't worry about it. Just be present and give your gift. And that's what she did. She went to school after school after school uh, over these last two months and she just gave her gift and she left it there. And people were touched. They were impressed. She got into the finals at Curtis. We don't know yet whether she actually got in, but she, she can't believe that she got into the finals at, at Curtis. There were only, I think, uh, 12 pianists uh, get into the finals and she made it into the finals and she didn't even feel like she played super well um, yet she still got got into the finals and I think it was because when the adjudication committee was watching her they realized ah a mature performer and if you have a mature performer who lacks technique in a certain area well there's a lot of teachers who are very good at technique and can help that person get to the next step but what I've learned is, is the hardest thing in the world as a teacher to try and do is get people to be good performers because they've transcended their ego and their performance anxiety. And so that's a harder thing. So when, when an audition committee sees somebody that enjoys everything and might have a slight problem here or there that can fix, they think, oh, well, I, I want to teach that student because they realize I don't have to spend my whole time trying to get a fabulous player to learn how to be a fabulous performer. And it's so much harder to teach performing than it is to teach playing. But I think that in these few, um, few students that I've had re recently over the last few years, I've had a small measure of success of seeing them become the people that they really are and should be. And it's glorious. It's just absolutely glorious. So I'm thankful for small victories as, a, as an educator. How do you think the universities and conservatories are doing when it comes to teaching performance anxiety? I don't think they're doing a very good job, James. But then I haven't been in a conservatory for more than 30 years, so I don't know as much. Uh, but I don't see as much attention given to this subject. And part of the reason is, is because the standard of musician in the U.S. has really risen, in my opinion. And... Uh, if if I were auditioning now, I don't think I'd I don't think I'd get into Eastman. Um, even though when I graduated from there, I graduated with a performance certificate, but I don't think I measure up to some of these freshmen when when I hear them play. So I, I think 
as the standard has gone up, then there's almost a lack of focusing on the subject because there's so many really outstanding, really good people who, who are out there. But here's the thing. There are some students who their performance anxiety is actually indicative of something else. What it's indicative of is amazing sensitivity. So this amazing sensitivity that allows them to play with the most beautiful phrasing and the most beautiful musicianship can become something that hamstrings them when they perform if they can't get over this, this ego aspect that manifests itself in performance anxiety. And so I think that the people that I've known that struggled with performance anxiety, some of them were the most fabulous players and had the capacity to be better than anyone else if they could only get over their, their performance issues. So when I see a kid or a student that's struggling with performance anxiety, it's been my experience that 50% of those people, 50% of them are just bad and haven't done enough practicing. And the reason why they're scared is they're about to be embarrassed because they haven't done what they needed to do. That's one kind of performance anxiety. But what I'm talking about in this podcast with you is something different. I'm talking about performance anxiety that plagues the people that are good, but they're not only good, they're empathic musicians and they're deeply sensitive. And that sensitivity, which is their greatest strength in the practice room when no one else is listening, then becomes their greatest enemy when they're standing up at a concert hall trying to play in front, of an, in front of an audience. So it's that group of people that I want to try and help when they face this problem and try and overcome it using a multidisciplinary method of trying to address the problem. What ground we've covered. I've, um, I've just been sitting here listening and just soaking it all in. And it makes me, conversations like this just make me want to just practice. <laughs> and it just reminds us of why we started playing in the first place. We want to enjoy it ourselves, but the way that we enjoy it is by having others enjoy it, having that gift, sharing it with others, and with a smile on someone's face who's, who's just listened to you play something. Well, that's just that's what makes it all worth it. That's right. And with just a little bit of tweaking in the mindset or tweaking maybe isn't the right word, maybe some, some major mindset adjustments that uh, you need to make, you can, um, you, you can overcome it. It's not impossible. So if you're out there listening to this and you're like, man, I'm, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I've had enough of this. I'm ready to chuck my trumpet into the river. Screw this. I'm done. Well, listen to this podcast once, twice, take notes, and forget about it. Forget about yourself. Focus on others. Tim, if people want to get in touch with you, maybe they have some questions for you about some of the things you've shared. Maybe they want to get, get a little bit more expounding on what we've talked about. How can people get in contact with you? Well, I would love to be able to interact and dialogue with anyone out there today and, and to continue to learn because for me, I'm constantly learning. And if I was going to put a title on my autobiography, it would probably be Old Dog, New Tricks. So I'm happy to hear from people, their, their comments, as well as any questions. And if they're struggling, and they can contact me by email. My email address is tim 
at timothyconkling.com and uh, Timothy Conkling, Conkling is spelled C-O-N-K-L-I-N-G.com. Tim at timothyconkling.com. That's the easiest way. And as I said, I would love to be able to interact with people, to hear their comments, their questions, and to help anybody uh, along the way, because I'm excited about this, James. And the reason why I shared with you that I really wanted to do this podcast is because I know that there are people out there who know that they could play better if they could get over this problem with performance anxiety. And I know how bad this problem tripped me up through uh, my earlier years. Um, And I know what freedom I feel right now. And I just want to try and help people get to that point. For more podcasts and resources on making money, making music, and to download the free musicpreneur.com mobile app, head on over to musicpreneur.com today. Thanks for listening.